Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Alright, Genesis chapter 22 and we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is week two of a new series of messages that we're doing in our church at the moment entitled God's God's. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, that's not the test, by the way, stay with me. Uh, Here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, smart kid, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from a second time, uh, from heaven a second time, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son. Abraham is without question one of our most important figures in the Bible. He is called in the book of Romans, our father in the sight of God. Our spiritual lineage begins with the journey of this man, Abraham, who left his homeland and set out on a life of journeying, arriving in the promised land. The journey of Abraham is not primarily a journey of vision, of goals, of desires, of dreams. 
The journey of Abraham is centrally, primarily a journey of worship. At the beginning of this year, I read the book of Genesis again and was again struck by the steps of worship that Abraham was prepared to take. He arrived in the promised land and then began a long period of waiting, waiting for a dream, a promise that God had given to him to find fulfillment in his life. That promise was a son. His wife, Sarah, literally became past the age of bearing children and still no son. And then at the ripe old age of 100 years old, along comes Isaac, the blessing, the promise, the desire of Abraham's heart. The child grew and as a baby, he brought him joy. As a toddler, Isaac filled him with delight. And as a son, Isaac captivated Abraham's heart. In our passage of Scripture this morning, we find God asking of Abraham something that if you're new to learning about God, or maybe if you have a shallow or deceptive understanding of God, when you hear of the request of God in our passage to Abraham, God appears maybe cruel, perhaps unjust, maybe vicious or somehow not a great God, but what Abraham is asked to do by God in this passage of Scripture is actually the actions of a God of love. And beyond that, what God asks of Abraham, my friends, is actually what God is asking of us all of the time. God comes to Abraham and He says to him of the things that he loves, of the things that we love, of the object of his affection, perhaps of our affection, of the things that we hold dear. God's simple challenge is, will you sacrifice it to me? Will you take what you love and will you give it to me? Will you surrender it to me? This passage, this series, sorry, of messages is themed out of Exodus chapter 20 where we find the 10 commandments and the opening commandment in verse three of Exodus chapter 20 simply says, you shall have no other God before me. The second commandment, which is really like exemplifying the first commandment says, and you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, no other gods and no idols. When you think about that, you think, well, why would God state that? I mean, why would God say, you shall have no other gods before me when He is, in fact, God? I mean, that doesn't change. Why would God say, have no other gods? Surely He is always God. Of the universe, yes, He is always God. But this is not written for the universe. This command is written for you and for me. And there is a difference between the laws of the universe and the government of our heart. He is Lord of the universe, yes. Lord of our hearts, automatically, no. God made you and I with free will, free choice. It's what makes us who we are. And the God of our hearts is for us to choose. In verse four, it says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. The God or idol of your heart can literally set up the form of anything 
in our lives. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about our hearts and the Bible says that God speaks to Ezekiel and He says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. The idols we can create in our lives seem to have no limits, whether they be we make an idol out of our career, an idol out of our lifestyle, an idol out of our wealth or our possessions or our relationships or our spouse or our children. As in the case of Abraham, they can all become a God to us. When anything is before God in our minds or in our hearts, it has become a God. When a thing in our lives becomes the thing in our lives, it has become a God to us. Our lives can be filled with many, many things, but when anything becomes the thing that is above the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when it begins to drive our lives and govern our decisions and decide our outcomes, when it begins to direct the course of our lives, when it becomes not just a thing, but the thing, it has become for us a God and an idol. And it is for this tendency that this first commandment and its cousin in the second are given to us. You shall not have any other gods before me. This series in a nutshell, if you wanna have all of what we're trying to say in this series in one sentence, here it is. There is only one true God and His name is Jesus. And if you want to follow up, it would be, and the one true God wants to be our one true God. He wants to hold the ultimate place in our lives and all we are and everything that we have to be surrendered to His preeminence. Abraham in our passage has been blessed by Isaac. On Isaac, he has set his affection. I mean, you know, this is his son, his boy, the greatest gift. You know, I call my son my G unit. He, he, is, he is the one through him whom he can live out his dreams. He is the object of his affection. Isaac has become the desire of Abraham's life. He has overtaken his heart. And perhaps Isaac, we don't know, but we, we infer that Isaac has become an idol in Abraham's heart. Our greatest tests in life are never gonna come really when everything is going bad in your life. I mean, you know, when you've got nothing, when everything is going bad, it is so easy to connect with God. It is at that moment that from the highest to the lowest, every person is willing to fall on their knees, on their faces, is willing to shout out, do whatever it takes, and declare that God is God. But when things are going well in our lives, that's when things get a little different. When things are going great in life, our greatest tests come with how we handle the good things, the good times, the good moments, the great things. And perhaps in our generation, the foremost prevalent gods that have become consuming wants of our generation would be love and beauty, wealth, fame, and family. I mean, I'm sure you could add on others and there is no limit to the number of gods that you could tack on. But if we were just to talk about four, we would talk potentially 
about the God of love and of beauty, of relationship. The God, this idol that came after Jacob when he was literally sick with love. As one songwriter said, he was a slave to love. If you're old, you'll know the song, slave to love. Maybe it's the God of wealth, the God that overtook Zacchaeus, this tax collector who was just all about the getting and didn't care about the hurting. Maybe it's the God of fame, this God that made a celebrity out of the rich young ruler. Or maybe it's the God of family that came to Abraham to make him cleave to his son more than to his God. And these four things can easily find a place in us. Our hearts allow these things to become to us far more than they were ever designed to be. They can easily take in our lives a higher place than God. They can become an idol in the form of anything. Let's talk firstly this morning about love and beauty. A few years ago, I was in a, a planning environment. We we're planning some services for Arise, and we were looking for a pop song. And I said to the guys, Well, I don't really have time to be in this discussion. You know, we're going to get on the next thing. I said, So just find a pop song that everybody knows. And kind of as I was walking out the door, I said, And make sure that it's not a song about sex. And as I was walking out the door, somebody looked up, everybody was laughing, and somebody yelled out at me as I was leaving, They're all about sex. And you know, the truth is, they are all about sex. If there is perhaps one overarching want of our generation, if there is one thing to which every lyricist and poet is devoted, one, one topic that overwhelmingly dominates our, our media, our books, our songs, our movies, it would be the theme of love. Everybody is looking for love. We have elevated this desire to make it perhaps the consuming passion of a generation, maybe the God of our generation. We want the feeling of love. We want the euphoria of love. We adore being in love. And the truth be told, for many people in our generation, they are prepared to pay for the experience of being in love, sometimes the highest price. I mean, I probably don't listen to the radio as often as I should. I'm a bit of a nerd. I, I tend to, if I'm in the car, I listen to national radio to check up, shut up. I, I, I listen to, <laughs> to hear what's going on in the news. But you know, when, when, I, 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 when I was thinking about this message and I was trying to find a song, and to be honest, if I had more time, I'm sure there are literally 100 songs that I could cho choose. But the song, the, the words of a song came into my head written by uh, an amazing author uh, known as Bachelor Girl. Um, and the chorus of her love song goes like this. So I walked under a bus, I got hit by a train Keep falling in love, which is kind of the same. I've sunk out at sea, crashed my car, I went insane. And it felt so good, I wanna do it again. <laughs> and it felt so good, I wanna do it again. I mean, it's a common song that I guess a lot of people know, but when you stop and back the track up a little bit, and you start, what, what? What, I, I was under a bus, I got hit by a train? 
I fell in love and that's kind of the same. It felt so good, I wanna do it again. I got the words to one of the verses. Hey mum, why didn't you warn me? Because about boys is something I should have known. They're like chocolate cake, they're like cigarettes. I know they're bad for me, but I can't leave them alone. It's important that we have fun with it because it is ludicrous, but the truth is, my friends, that a thousand messages a day, a thousand song lyrics, a thousand movies, a thousand thrusts are coming at you all the time because the most natural replacement for the wonder of God would have to be the wonder of love. If you can't find the love of God, the wonder of God as the quenching thirst of your heart and soul, if He is not experientially number one in your life, then the most natural place to look for a longing to be fulfilled is in the arms of another person. You know, when I, when I read about Jacob and I consider his journey, Jacob discovers this girl and he says, I will work seven years in order to have her as my wife. When you hear that, you gotta understand that in context, in the scriptural context, this was an above and beyond level of dowry to be given for a girl. I mean, no, let's not discuss it. Nobody, I, mean, I'm, I hire men, I hire women. Let's forget that. This is just the context that we're reading about, okay? A bride had a dowry and over and above any reasonable level, like if, if six months would do it, Jacob offers seven years. Why? Well, in Genesis chapter 29, the Bible gives us perhaps the most honest portrayal of physical beauty, when in verse, apart from the Song of Solomon, when it says in verse 17 that Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay. I mean, just say it for what it is, okay? She was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay, so she's not only got a face that makes you smile, she's got a body that doesn't quit. That's, that's what the Scripture is saying. I didn't say it. Lovely in form and beautiful. She is rounded in all the right places, smooth where she should be smooth, she is shapely, she is attractive beyond measure. A goddess, some might say. And Jacob, a man on a journey of his life is not the first and is by no means the last to become a slave to love. Love to beauty, to the want for Rachel. We live in a world that is literally obsessed with Rachel. It seems that there is no limit today. I was in Sydney the other day and I was driving along in the car and up in front of me slashed an advertisement for a tap. But the tap was literally about this big on the billboard. The girl who was, you know, a Rachel was, was you know, this big in the billboard. And it struck me that we have no limits to the use and the want and the portrayal of Rachel, the internet is ablaze with the distorted offering 
of Rachel. Physical beauty has become perhaps the ultimate prize, a prize for which, like Jacob, many will pay the ultimate price. He worked seven years of his life for Rachel. But here is the greatest lesson for every young and every old person that is hearing this message this morning. He went to bed with Rachel, but he woke up with Leah. He went to bed with the goddess and he woke up with an ordinary person. He went to bed with one set of expectations and when he came out of his spell, he awoke with another. And this is the always the way when beauty or love, whether it's the euphoria of the relationship or the captivation of the physical figure, when love and beauty becomes a God to us, we will always go to bed with Rachel and wake up with Leah. The poems might not always flow. The feeling of affirmation that we receive might not always be there. Why? Because when we expect a person to fill the deepest longing and need in our hearts, we transfer what can only be provided by God onto the expectations of another person. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no one who can fill the love void in our lives except for the author of love. Come on, do you believe that today? There is no majestic source of beauty that will never fade in our lives other than the beauty of our Saviour. And my friends, I want you to know that God is looking for people who will never decide. Listen, every single person in this room will never decide that love relationships will be a greater force in your life than Him. This is not about the selfish desires of a God. This is about the loving nurture of a father. I remember being single, being young in church, and uh, you know there were two types of girls, if I could be honest. There were girls that I was attracted to, and there were girls that loved Jesus. <laughs> I just couldn't find a match. And there came this point in my journey where I'm like, well, you know, maybe, I, maybe I, you know, I've either got to pick one or the other. And I realized, no, that's not right. That's not acceptable. That's not, that's not what God wants for me. And I realized in one moment of prayer at the age of maybe 18, 19, that the decision I had to make was that if God was going to be my God, then maybe single was going to be my lot. And that as long as God was God, then single was okay. But he was God and no other person would take his place. I wish I could tell you that that next morning, Jillian knocked on the door wrapped in a bow and God miraculously provided. <laughs> My, I'm not gonna play with that because there's no way you can stay on track. But it was several years. I'm talking two or three years. I mean, Jillian, to me now, at the age of, you know, whatever she is, I'm 41, she's not, but, you know, she's younger. But, you know, I still find her the most captivating beauty in my life. But I want to tell you, when she was 19, she walked in a room and conversation stopped. But she was not only physically beautiful, she was desperately in love with Jesus. 
And you know what? The God of our lives determines our lives. And there has to be a moment where we say, you are my God and no person or thing or object can ever take your place. Does anybody believe that? Come on, give God some praise. The second, the second way that we find a God in our lives is definitely through wealth. If there, is a, if there is something that pulls on our hearts, it's the want of money. In fact, Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. He set it up ultimately, and he said, one of these things will be the God of your life. And for that, we look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. He's, a, he's like a modern day form of somebody who extorted money from others, used the Roman army to leverage from a person more than they were required to pay. He took for the benefit of self. He was all about himself. Now, you know, I'm learning a lot about buildings and this is what I know. When you look at a building, only a few people ever look at the foundations. Most people, when they look at a building, they look at, you know, the structure, the form, the, the beauty of it. They look at, you know, I don't know, but very few, only a, only a master builder, only the, the construction guys are gonna come up and ask you, what is the building built upon? And it's very easy for people, no matter who you are, whether you believe in God or whether you don't, to look at the Ten Commandments and say, hey, that's a great bunch of moral truth. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet what your neighbor has, and you know, just live that kind of life. That makes sense. You're looking at the building. But the first and second commandment, they are the foundations. No other gods before me shall not make for yourself an idol because the moment another God, especially the gods of avarice and greed, once they take the place of God in a life, then the offerings you bring to them, my friends, will absolutely require deception, stealing, wanting some, what somebody else has had. And when greed and wealth finds a place in our lives, it will never be satisfied and our lives will not be built on a healthy foundation. And that's why we discover Zacchaeus up on a tree. Maybe, maybe he climbed a tree as a symbol to himself and to us this morning that he'd been climbing his whole life climbing above others materially, benefiting more. I mean, he's got wealth, he's got bling, he's got the stuff of life, but he climbs a tree because he knows that in his life there is still something that he lacks. And I reckon he wouldn't be the only one. I reckon there might be even many people this morning who have realized that maybe wealth has been shaping you, but God is desiring to have you. What he needed was not more money. What he needed was a new God. And there comes moments in our lives where the things of our lives will not take the place, will not fill the void, and what we need is him. Amen? The third one is found in fame. Fame. I mean, man. The rich, young ruler. The rich, young ruler. Influence, youthful good looks, money, the rich young ruler. He's a celebrity. 
He's the guy that walks in the party and everybody takes his, his, his photo, selfies with him in it. Everybody wants to know about him. Fame has become, without any question, a God of our generation, true? And a God for which people are willing to pay the most ridiculous of sacrifices. I mean, you know, if you on any form of social media, we have spawned a new generation of people who are working out ways that they can increase their fame. I'm listening to songs with my daughter. One day, I'm gonna be the next big thing. One day. I'm gonna be famous. I mean, you know, there's literally on, on, on the Disney Channel, little short movies in between her shows talking about how you can make your own, you know, YouTube channel successful and become more famous. We have, we have spawned a generation for whom fame has become a consuming passion of our lives. And man, no matter who you are in this room this morning, I promise you, you care far more about what people and how many people like you than you're probably willing to admit. And fame become, to live for fame is to become more concerned about what people think about you than about what God thinks about you. To place their approval before His. To have another God before Jesus. And the rich young ruler has got all the fame in the world, yet he finds himself kneeling before Jesus and saying, what is missing from my life? Is anybody but me struck by the amount of so-called celebrities that are taking their own lives? Could it be the fact that for all of the fame and all of the money and for all of the youthful surgical processes that they have available, they're still discovering that it will not, it will not take the place of the one true God in our lives. He is the only one that can fill that void. Does anybody believe that this morning? And you know, the rich young ruler, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I love that turn of phrase. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Next sentence, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. Jesus is saying, would you be ordinary? Would you be nobody? Would you care more for me than you care for them? And the eyes of love are looking at the rich young ruler, not with a want for his poverty, but for the want for the one true God to become the God of that man's life. And you know, my friends, this is the search God takes us on to say, would you allow me to become your everything? Would you denounce fame to find me? Three years ago, um, the Lord laid a heavy challenge on me. He said, would you give me Isaac? Um, 2011, I traveled literally, I think about four continents on the globe, spoke at many, many significant conferences. A rise was blowing up and everybody wanted to hear our story. Plus, I was the 30-something pastor with the church that was rapidly growing. And the, the phone was ringing, the invitations were coming, the Twitter followership was going up hundreds every single week. 
Everything was great. My wife's like, I can't believe it. Look how many people follow you. I'm like, I'm kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> and in the middle of all of that, I began to feel the pull of heaven. And God spoke into my heart and he said, John, would you give up the world to win one nation? I mean, my journey since then has had another ins other instructions from God. And there's always things on the other side of your surrender. But the challenge was, would you give up the world to win one nation? Would you exchange London for Blenheim? Sydney for South Auckland? Cape Town for Tiawamutu? Would you be ordinary? I wish I could tell you it was real easy, but it was a struggle. Because we are pulled towards fame, no matter whether you do this or whether you look after people or whether you are a student, we care what people think. And God comes to us and He says, you shall have no other gods before me. The last one is the band, come and join me, is the one we see with Abraham, who was given by God the most wonderful gift, a son. And his fear, Abraham's fear, had been that he would not have a son. And now he's been given the most awesome gift, what he wanted with his life. He is given the desire that will make him happy. And we struggle really to grasp the fullness of what Isaac represented to Abraham because we live in an individualistic culture, not the way of Abraham. Isaac was his legacy, his future, his dreams. And Abraham attached himself to Isaac. Isaac found a place in his heart. He was everything to Abraham, the thing to Abraham. And so our text happens. God calls for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him. The giver of life had no intention of taking life. He wasn't after Isaac. He was after Abraham. I want you to know though, friends, that had Abraham refused to offer Isaac, then his journey would end here. If Abraham had not surrendered Isaac, then he would not be recorded as our father in the faith. Isaac would have lived. Abraham would have enjoyed blessing, but an idol would have interrupted his journey. And I want you to know experientially and from the Bible, I can tell you today that we will not retain faith if we retain our idols. Once our idols are brought to God and we offer things to Him, faith is born through obedience and surrender. And there is so much for us on the other side of a life that is surrendered to God. So God said to Abraham, give me your God, sacrifice Isaac to me. To the rich young ruler, he said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then come follow me. Take from your heart the things that have gained preeminence. Empty your life of what has taken control and cannot satisfy. Give your life, your hopes, your dreams to the one true God, to the one giver of life, to the Saviour of your soul. And Abraham found what we will find, a God who is enough, 
a God who can supply, a God who is worthy of our worship, the one who does make a way where there is no way, the one God and His Name is Jesus. And my friends, this whole message is simply to say that we can have no other gods before Him. He desires that place. And maybe, maybe that door of heaven knocks on your heart. Give to me. Give to me your all. I think those moments are the most precious moments, having lived through more than I would have liked to. When God puts His hand upon us and says, hello, I wanna be God, (laughs) not just of the universe, of the space in here. But the other side of those moments, man, that's, that's where we find Him and our dreams get new life. Now that because you have not withheld from me your son, I will bless you. Your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. And the only one who can show you the plan He has for you is Him. And His plan is better than mine. Do you believe that? Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning. Let's pray together, church. No matter where you are, on all our campuses, online, in Malaysia, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning in surrender. There might be many, there might be hundreds today, Lord, who need to take some kind of thing in our lives and put it back on that altar before you. We acknowledge that you are God and that you are worthy. Take your rightful place in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you're present. I just sense the Lord just ministering to people. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are working out your wonderful plan. Speak to hearts, speak to lives. We surrender to you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. I will ever love and trust you. And in your presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.